This is an AMI podcast. I'm Joyita Gupta and this is The Pulse. A while back, I started feeling anxious. If we had to self-isolate, how would I manage as a blind person? If I lived alone, as many blind people do, I would worry about everything. Getting groceries, accessing services, staying in touch with friends, family and community agencies. We have made progress to integrate people with disabilities, but we still live in an inaccessible world. This privileging of the able-bodied person becomes obvious during any crisis, like a natural disaster or pandemic. But the disability community was ready to meet the challenge head on. Today, we discuss the response to COVID-19 from the CNIB Foundation with President and CEO John Rafferty. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Jyotha Gupta. I'm the host of the program. And today we'll be talking about the response to COVID-19 from the CNIB with a focus on the provisions for people who are blind or partially sighted. As always, this program is being produced and hosted and teched remotely so that we can do our part to remain socially distant. I also wanted to remind you that the AMI homepage, that's AMI.ca, is a one-stop shop for all of our most recent and up-to-date segments that provide you with information about COVID-19. It's a rapidly evolving situation, and we want to make sure that you, the members of our community, are always kept in the know. I wanted to acknowledge that this time can be overwhelming, but a friendly reminder that even as we acknowledge our feelings of anxiety or worry, we should also be willing to reach out for help and seek assistance. My guest today is the President and CEO of the CNIB Foundation. John Rafferty joins me on The Pulse. Welcome. Uh, thank you very much for having me. John, I've been wanting to have you on the program for a very long time, and I was hoping we could talk under less strange circumstances. Let me start out by asking you, how are you doing? Oh, doing very well. Thank you. Myself, my family are doing well, and, uh, and the broader CNAB family is, uh, is doing well. Uh, as you said, these times are, uh, are very strange. I think that uh, uh, there's been a, a lot of information, a lot of uh, changes over the last couple of weeks. Um, we've been bombarded with things all the time, and, um, you know, it, is, uh, it takes all of us to just kind of find a way to navigate through this. Mm. John, I wanted to get the, let's call it the public service announcement part of the show out of the way. I've had a lot of questions from sighted friends and family about how best to provide sighted guide assistance to people who are blind at this time, because we're all being told to observe social distance or physical distance, but I think that's hard to do if you are trying to guide someone who's visually impaired. What's the best practice here? So, you know, I think that there, there are two categories of people that provide sighted guide. There's, there's individuals who are in the same household as each other um, and, uh, and obviously living within the same household uh, have slightly different uh, aspects to, to uh, uh, social distancing. Um, sighted guide, if you're within the same household, really should be able to 
uh, take place as normal, um, using all of the precautions that we all need to use anyway, even those in the same household. So if you're just going out for a walk to get some exercise with a member of your own household, um, then, uh, then I think things are uh, very much the same. Um, if you, like some of our rehabilitation staff, our, our amazing uh, deaf-blind uh, interveners, are in the community uh, serving people that aren't part of your own household, um, then you need to make sure that you're wearing protective uh, PPE, as they say, personal protective uh, equipment. Uh, when you're providing sighted guide, um, we don't want uh, transmission. Um, a person should be wearing a mask, a person should be wearing gloves. Um, but the actual sighted guide principles need to remain the same. You know, there, there isn't really a way of trying to do sighted guide, as you know, um, with a six-foot distance. So um, it, it uh, really is something that we've got to be very careful about. Yeah, is this one of those situations where description really comes into play? Maybe you describe a person surrounding them to them more in detail than you would otherwise, or even tell them about where to stand. Because a lot of grocery stores have markings on the floor indicating uh, the two-meter distance so that the lines are spread out. Is this a situation where if you're a sighted person, you might rely on verbalizing more than you would on, on guiding? I think you would, and certainly for, for members of the community that are, you know, more high partial, where maybe in normal circumstances uh, we would apply normal sighted guide techniques. Uh, in, in these circumstances, if someone's residual vision is, is sufficient, that you can actually, through additional description, uh, ensure that someone is safe in navigating um, uh, an area where they're out on an essential um, uh, essential uh, part of daily life, such as getting foods mm -hmm. or a visit to a pharmacy, um, and you're able to do it through additional subscription without having uh, contact and by keeping social distance, then, then absolutely, I think that that would, would add value. Um, I do think that you also need to provide more, more description, even if you're guiding someone who is blind, um, because you, you want to ensure that they, even though the two of you may be within that, uh, that kind of two-meter radius uh, in order to, to, to maintain safety, uh, you also need to make sure that you're describing things around so that you don't inadvertently guide someone uh, within that social distance boundary uh, that, that's out, out and about at the same time. And a lot of signage has gone up uh, that wasn't there before and all of those hand sanitizer dispensers. It's good to just point these things out as well as we go along. I want to turn to another topic, which is, of course, the response from the CNIB Foundation. John, in a nutshell, what has the response been from CNIB Foundation? So last week alone, we launched uh, over 150 uh, virtual programs across the country. Um, you know, our uh, workforce, like many workforces, became remote uh, just uh, mm -hmm. a little over two weeks ago. Um, and uh, we've also done specific outreach to uh, members of the community right across the country um, between uh, the rehabilitation um, organization, which is called uh, Vision Loss Rehabilitation Canada and uh, the CNIB Foundation. We've spoken to probably uh, upwards of 7,000 individuals now, uh, contacted them in their home, uh, understanding their situation and provided information in a direct one-to-one -one outreach. Um, uh, we've launched a program now to assist with uh, um, uh, personal shopping needs, uh, should that be something uh, that someone needs and doesn't have otherwise available in the community from neighbors, friends, loved ones. Um, and, you know, the, the virtual programs 
are starting to get significant uh, significant volumes of activity, um, uh, many people attending them, and they're uh, very widespread in, in their nature um, and uh, focusing on people's emotional well-being, also providing a lot of technical support and training, certainly um, on the rehabilitation side. You know, we've, uh, we've got many members of the community that that haven't necessarily had refresher skills for a while, for a while and uh, have increased anxiety around being able to get out and, and uh, get basic essentials into the home, etc. Um, so we're providing a lot of support that when, way, uh, virtual basis. When you mentioned <laughs> access to groceries um, and helping people around uh, getting access to some of those groceries, I managed to breathe a sigh of relief. Can you describe that program to us in a little more detail? So, so we've had a program for a number of years, uh, which is called the Vision Mate program. And the Vision Mate program is is a, a great, usually in-person based program uh, where a volunteer um, uh, meets with uh, with an individual usually once a week for a few hours, and that's often geared around shopping, geared around uh, kind of physical activities, uh, recreational activities. Um, and, and that program has obviously become very virtualized in, in the nature of the outreach and the connection um, to, to really ensure that people have contact. And one of the things that that is now offering, uh, and the process around that got, got launched just this week, um, is the ability for those uh, vision mates who um, are able to uh, provide that support for individuals who would like to have that available to them to, to provide uh, a, a grocery delivery, uh, safe grocery delivery um, service. John, I know that you've thought quite extensively about the digital divide and that not all of CNIB's clients, many of whom are elderly, may not have used a computer before at all, may not yep. be able to access some of these virtual programs. Is the contact center, the 1-800 number still up and running? Yeah, many of these are uh, telephone-based, so um, it, it is, uh, you know, uh, run the contact center, is able to register people for programs, is able to walk through all of the program offerings uh, across the country. Um, uh, these programs don't have, uh, you know, provincial boundaries the way programs that take place in physical offices do. Um, so, yes, uh, it, it probably the majority, probably 60, 65% of the programs are telephone-based. Um, there are many of them that are now using various uh, online uh, group-based uh, media to be able to communicate. Uh, um, and, and we're doing things, uh, you know, that are quite varied. Just, just yesterday we had a, a Facebook Live concert uh, put mm. on by uh, an amazing uh, musician in Saskatchewan who's, um, uh, who's partially sighted, um, and we'll be doing those types of things every week as well. And it's a, it's a great way to bring people together. We had uh, almost a 1,000 people on this Facebook Live concert um, connected uh, just yesterday afternoon. Um, and uh, so all, all of these, these mechanisms to keep people connected, some of them, again, very instructional uh, about how to use various apps, how to order on Uber Eats, how to get groceries delivered if you are technically driven. But many of them are old school landline phone based, which is why we're doing so much dialing uh, on an outbound basis to, to individuals to make sure everything is good. Well, John, I mean, you said something before that piqued my interest. It sounds like you have a very cohesive national plan to respond to COVID-19. But let's face it, Red Deer, Alberta is not the same as Toronto, Ontario. So how are regional offices responding in a nimble fashion to local needs and situations? 
Yeah, so uh, many, many of our programs are, are local, obviously, in a remote delivery model, um, you know, even though there, there will be programs that are very kind of specific to things that are taking place in, in a community. Um, uh, you know, the things like Vision Mates are about coordinating volunteers on a local basis in order for them to be able to interact uh, for the needs of a Red Deer or of a North Bay, Ontario, or wherever it may be from coast to coast. Um, but the virtual nature, uh, telephone-based and, and online-based, uh, really does kind of change that uh, somewhat from, um, uh, from the, the way that we delivered services in the past. I wanted to ask if the government of Canada or any of the provincial governments is looking at the CNIB and all of the services that you're providing as an essential service. So uh, the CNIB a, a few years ago separated out I I all of the um, rehabilitation and our deafblind community services, uh, intervenor services, into uh, separate uh, uh, entities, separate organizations. And, and those, uh, those services are, are very much viewed that way uh, from the government perspective as services that they need to continue to fund and we need to continue to ensure those supports are being provided. Um, we've had great conversations. Um, with, uh, with provincial governments across the country on, on those uh, supports that we provide. And we're also uh, reaching out to, to the healthcare system uh, to find out what other ways we may be able to alleviate strain uh, within, within other parts of the healthcare by getting those who are, uh, individuals who are blind or partially sighted with the necessary support so that they, they can uh, you know, be as healthy as possible at home. One of the concerns that's been raised is that people with disabilities uh, would be at risk of getting triaged out and would not get the supports that they need within the healthcare system. So in light of that, how, I, how responsive are public health units to the specific needs of people with disability to ensure that service delivery caters to the needs of people with visual impairments? Yeah, it's uh, obviously it's a, a, an incredibly intense uh, period of time for anyone who's on the front lines in the healthcare business, um, and you know, inadvertently and unfortunately, sometimes the the, the needs um, that are a, a bit more unique to to an individual with a disability, and specifically, you know, individuals who are blind or partially sighted through this process, uh, are not being met, um, you know, putting signs up in, in buildings to, to announce additional protocols in, in healthcare areas aren't, aren't helpful to someone who's blind or partially sighted. Uh, I think that everyone on the front line is doing, you know, absolutely amazing work uh, in, in dealing with these unprecedented times. Um, and our, our job is to make sure that we're, we're there to support the health system. Um, uh, in, in, uh, in virtual ways that we're doing, connecting with, uh, with PSWs um, in certain circumstances to help provide support uh, via, via the phone or via things like FaceTime to, uh, to connect to provide additional aid where we can. Um, you know, within our, the deafblind uh, community, we've uh, been sending interveners directly um, into emergency rooms with deafblind clients in order to provide that uh, um, communication service that, that they so desperately need when, when they're accessing that type of emergent care. So, you know, uh, I, I think your general observation is absolutely correct. There are lots of challenges in the way that individuals with disabilities are, are treated within the health system generally. And in a, in a pressure point like this, um, you know, those types of things do, do actually uh, somewhat get, get uh, emphasized or 
uh, get exaggerated, um, and, uh, and it can be a real challenge. Well, just a few minutes ago, I referenced or had intended to reference a, a list of recommendations that was uh, that the CNIB has signed on to, uh, which was uh, sent out by a range of disability organizations, and we talked about it here on The Pulse as well, just to sort of highlight the needs of people with disabilities during the COVID-19 uh, crisis. Why is it important, John, at this time to look at this issue from a cross-disability lens? You know, I, it, I mean, it, it is. You know, I think that we had started to make some, some really good progress uh, as a country at a federal level with Bill C-81 passing last year. Uh, I know that the, the committee that's going to look at standards has has been formed and has been beginning to do its work um, to start rolling out uh, additional regulations that would ensure more consistent approach and more equal approach uh, so that uh, individuals with disability um, uh, are, are treated with, with more uh, equity than, uh, than the system has inadvertently taken away from them in the past. So, um, you know, situations that we're in at the moment is um, has got everyone focused on the pandemic, um, and clearly there will be elements that, you know, uh, of, of Bill C-81 and movement forward that, that um, are being slowed down uh, during, during this uh, time of concentrated attention on dealing with the epidemic. In the Include Me Canada report that the CNIB Foundation signed on to, the other major recommendation had to do with protecting the income of people with disabilities. And I know that employment and income is something the CNIB Foundation has worked on extensively. You had a great report that you put out a while back. But in this moment, when we deal with COVID-19, what sort of response are you looking for from government? Is it legislation? Is it dialogue? Do we still rely on partnerships? What's the way forward? So the, the, the long-term solution, solution when, we, when we start coming out of this is to get back to the, to the urgent work of creating equality in the workplace, creating more opportunities for individuals with a disability uh, to create equity um, uh, you know, in, all, in all kinds of professions. Um, and we were starting to make some, some really good progress with our Come to Work program. We've got amazing partners um, from the employment side. We've got a growing... Uh, a, a growing um, a talent pool of individuals. Uh, we're still during this time on a virtual basis running a lot of our employment skills training and employment boot camps um, to, to ready people. But, you know, the, the, uh, the world of employment um, and work is, is itself been, been somewhat turned upside down over the last number of weeks. So, um, you know, our, our job is going to focus on making sure we use every opportunity right now to in, enhance the skills and ability of those in the talent pool so that when we start coming out of this, uh, you know, individuals who are blind or partially sighted are well positioned um, and their employers are well positioned for us to, to start making even more inroads into uh, areas of employment. I'm speaking to John Rafferty, President and CEO of the CNIB Foundation. John, this is an unprecedented time for the CNIB Foundation itself. I mean, you're working remotely. Give us a few pointers and the model for us, if you will, the best case scenario for other employers who might now have employees who are visually impaired, and we know there are several at CNIB, who might want to adopt some of these best, best practices to help an employee work from home and remain productive and also achieve some work-life balance? 
So, you know, we we as an employer have have had a fair, fairly high percentage of our uh, of our staff uh, working um, at least uh, two or three days a week on a remote basis. We we had a lot of uh, kind of experience with remote work, um, and the, you know the keys are the, the same thing: working remotely as they are when you're working in an office environment. You need to communicate effectively and often with your staff. That communication needs to be inclusive. Um, in its nature, you need to uh, focus on the systems that you use so that you make sure that they are accessible um, and that everyone has the appropriate guidance on how to run accessible meetings, um, how to put together accessible uh, communications. Um, you know, we we try to live that kind of inclusion and accessibility uh, in everything we do on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I don't think people intentionally try to make things inaccessible, but... but uh, it's got to be part of our consciousness uh, at the beginning of, of everything we do as an employer. Um, uh, otherwise, we will inadvertently be creating barriers all the time, and, and, and that's just not right. So. Well, I know a lot of people right now are worried about how to pay their bills, so you'll forgive me for sticking with the dollars and cents issues mm-hmm. a little bit more, John. No but uh, for those people with uh, who are visually impaired, who are not employed and are dependent on social assistance, I know you've been following the news, a lot of federal announcements about help for Canadians at the, dealing with COVID-19 and the economic fallout. Are you feeling confident that the federal measures, as well as some of the provincial social assistance programs, will adequately support people within the community at this time? Um, that's, that's a huge question. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that, that I, I have been very pleased with the types uh, of announcements and the degree of announcements that have been coming from governments at all levels. Uh, there is a lot of detail still to be looked through as to the, the you know the mechanics behind it and and what qualifies and how. Um, so there's still a, a little bit of detail that that we're all grasping to get, and I, I know that there's many people working very hard to get that information out. Um, you know, I, I hope that uh, that through this process that. Um, that we will uh, ensure that there are adequate resources there for, for everyone, particularly for those uh, who are the more vulnerable in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and by all accounts, from what we're hearing, uh, we're, we're pleased with, with what we're hearing. As I said, there's still details to be sorted uh, to make sure that um, the process for someone to apply for things is accessible, um, the, the way in which people are finding out the information is, is inclusive um, and accessible uh, so that we don't have people uh, inadvertently being left behind. I know, John, you share my passion for having cross-country, transnational conversations. I remember talking to you at the AMI office, now it seems like a long time ago, about some of the work you've done with your colleagues in the UK and in Australia, and the report that I referenced earlier, your employment report, uh, I believe referenced New Zealand and Australia, possibly the UK, if memory serves me. We're looking at a global pandemic. Have you had a chance to sit down with some of your colleagues and talk about the possibility of a coordinated international response for the blind and partially sighted community so uh we we have uh, we have connected or i have had the opportunity to connect with the ceos of, of some of the other organizations uh, uh, across the world as to how they're, they're managing through this process to ensure that we're taking advantage of the best practices uh, uh, in in delivering services and keeping the the community connected and informed as we go through this um we certainly share very common goals around issues of 
uh, advocacy around inclusion um, and issues around employment and equality and education. <clears throat> so, you know, that, that work will continue for us uh, as, we, as we come out of this. We are in a moment of time. It may, in fact, be, you know, a, a longer moment than, than we, we thought initially. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we're looking forward to the day in, in a number of weeks or in, in, a, in, a, in a month or so's time where we start talking about how do we start restoring normalcy. It's going to take a long time for that process to take place. It's not going to be an overnight and everything's back to normal. So it will be a very gradual return. But hopefully um, when we start talking about that, that will restore some of the optimism um, and we can start putting plans uh, in, into place as to what the, the, the new normal will be on the other side of COVID. Once COVID-19 is behind us, how do you see things changing, if I may be so bold, improving for people who are blind or partially sighted? I mean, are we going to be a little more accepting of this concept of universal design? I, I am very optimistic myself uh, that, that uh, the things that we, um, that, that we do that are universal um, uh, will become more and more part of the mainstream. Um, I'm very optimistic as to how much more, you know, out-of-the-box accessible technology would be, uh, will be as we move forward. I think that this is, is teaching us around the world how to do things in a more virtual way, which will, will benefit our community, um, uh, but it, it will still have a reliance on people having access to technology. Um, and I think this, this is going to prioritize a number of things for societies at large that uh, I think will have a lasting positive effect. It's, it's difficult to spend too much time thinking about that positive effect in the future while we're still not sure of, of even timelines as we speak. Um, and so the important thing at the moment is that we, we all do what we can today to make sure today is as safe uh, as it can be. Um, and that we continue to communicate as well as we can uh, to our communities and provide the supports where, where the system have gaps. Um, uh, and hopefully in a number of weeks or maybe in a month or so's time, we can start talking about that optimistic future that I think you and I share. Well, John, it's always a pleasure to pontificate with you. Thank you so <laughs> much for being on the program, and I hope you'll come back under happier circumstances. I, I hope so, and uh, may, maybe next time we'll we'll be sitting in a studio together. <laughs> Absolutely. Think big, right? Thank you so much, John. No, thank you. That was John Rafferty, President and CEO of the CNIB Foundation. He joined us to talk about some of the changes and evolutions for programs and service delivery at the CNIB Foundation. Please head on over to their website, cnib.ca, for more information and to get the most up-to-date information as well. Or head on over to ami.ca, which is our website for all the latest segments from all of our live shows that deal with COVID-19. As we wrap up today's program, I just want to say that I hope you will all take care of yourselves and your families. Be well and be safe. It's okay to worry sometimes. These are unprecedented times for all of us. But it's also important to remain connected. Reach out and get support. You are not alone. On that note, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like some companionship in the form of the Pulse podcast, it is available to you on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to share it with your friends and family or like, rate, and subscribe. Of course, you can head on over to the show blog, ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. 
I'd like to thank John Rafferty for being my guest today. Always has some great conversations with John, and it's wonderful to have him on the program, and I hope we get to do it again. The Pulse is produced by Andrea Delanro. Our technical producer is Sam Robinson. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio, with special thanks going out to Paula Deneen, supervisor of AMI-audio Technical. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please give us a call at 1-866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. And let us know if we have your permission to play the audio on the program. Write us an email, write to feedback at ami.ca, or you can find us on Twitter at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI. Thanks a lot for listening to the program and for being a part of the conversation. We'll be back with more programming on the Pulse on AMI-audio. Thanks, and have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.